your face was like <laughs> look i fix your face was that saying was invented for me because the way that i don't know how to have a poker face right out here in these streets just blue ivy mean mug and folk. <laughs> oh man oh. we're back we're here it's thursday it's the we're last I'm day of Pride Month. right i'm here and you're queer yay <laughs> it is indeed um, the last thursday of pride month we're here to celebrate yes um well hello Ooh, i'm so goopy right now and i've had too much caffeine but yet not enough at the same time <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Horror Host of Horror Group Podcast, the podcast and book club for the everyday horror addicts. I am one of your hosts, the bisexual baddie, Amanda, and this is my co-host, my sister in horror. She's she's an ally. She's got a silk press. She's gorgeous. Samara. Silk press that is sweating out as we speak. <laughs> it's hot here and it's been humid and oh the canadian um forest fires have officially made detroit's air quality the second worst air quality in the world after dubai for the past like couple days wow look at you seven records (laughs) the windows have been closed and the cats have been angry because they like to hear the cars and the birds go by not just see them right well I'm sending you love from across the country in in California where the skies are completely blue. That's for well, you don't live in LA because LA is always hazy. It's always smoggy. Very, very true. No, this is why Bay Area one point for Bay Area. <laughs> Good evening, party peeps. Hey Kay, how you how you doing? Okay. Well, oh, let me close my Discord. Not me forgetting to close that before we go live. Well, you guys, we're here and we're ready to talk about queer horror. You see what I did there? Bars. <laughs> Clearly, just bars. <laughs> Drop the mic. Good night. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're talking about queer horror through the ages. Um, Amanda did a lot of behind the scenes work on this because I was like, I'm not well versed. But I trust Amanda to lead us through to the Holy Land on this one. Yes, I'll be your uh, queer Sherpa through the land of the history of queer horror. Okay, so um, up top, I want to recommend a couple other, uh, in addition to this episode, I want to recommend a couple other bits of media consumption to help you brush up on your queer horror, you know, history and such. So... One of the things I highly recommend is Queer for Fear. It's a documentary on AMC Plus, and it explores the history of queer people in horror cinema. It's a four-part documentary. It's pretty short, so I highly recommend that. Um, YouTuber James Somerton, he's a pretty good um, voice in the queer media space. He talks a lot about queer rep in Disney and all of this. And he has a three-part series on queer horror, starting with the first video being Monsters in the Closet. It's a four-year-old video, so you have to go back a bit, but it's a really good video. Super well worth um, the watch. There's also um, It Came from the Closet, which is a kind of an essay. It's a nonfiction book that's a bunch of essays of queer authors discussing their thoughts on queer horror and all of that. So highly recommend those. And if there's anything else that I've missed, anything else that you know of, please drop it in the chat or, you know, now or when you're catching the replay in the future. So <clears throat> straightening up my glasses here and <laughs> let's get into it. So when we talk about queer horror and we talk about kind of the history, obviously we can probably say that queer fiction and horror fiction existed separately for many, many years before they kind of became linked, if you will. And it's thought to that some of the the first linkage between these two would be with Gothic horror, which got its rise in the late 1700s. Now, we did an entire episode about Gothic horror, so if you want to learn more about that specific subgenre, then we highly recommend you take a listen. However, um, these became linked 
partially because there were a number of queer uh, authors who wrote gothic horror, specifically Matthew Lewis, whose book The Monk had very notable queer themes. Um, <clears throat> as a queer uh, horror writer and editor, James Jenkins says, the reason for um, the horror, gothic horror, featuring queer things, one of the reasons is the traditional explanation, uh, quote, the traditional explanation for the gay horror connection is that it was impossible for them to write openly about gay themes back then, or even perhaps express them since the words, since words like gay and homosexual didn't exist. So they sublimated them and expressed them in more acceptable forms using the medium of a transgressive genre like horror fiction. So kind of similar to the way in which that we, any, I would say any marginalized group really uses horror, the horror genre, any speculative fiction genre, subgenre, right? Fantasy, sci-fi, and horror to discuss issues of the day, issues of the time, to be, you know, wax existential about what we're going through, what, what it would look like to be in a perfect, more equal world. We have been doing this for years and horror has been that medium and it's no different from queer people. And I think a big thing, just speaking for myself, being bi, I think a big part of it is is the fact that queer people tended to have existed on the fringes for so long. They're kind of often painted as villains or anything like that, which we will get into. So watching horror movies, um, we tend to relate to them. And in a lot of the queer media that I've consumed, there's kind of a running theme of maybe even relating to the villain. Um, like, hence the Babadook becoming a huge queer icon. I would say Pearl is also more recently a pretty big icon for queer people. I know for me, Pearl is, that's, she's here. She's here. I'm so sorry. Villain. I need you to back up. Uh-huh. Come on, understand. The Babadook? You need to extrapolate. Yeah. You don't know that the Babadook had, oh girl. So when the Babadook came out, it kind of became this like cultural, you know, phenomenon, obviously. And the queer people, queer community really adopted it as like a, that's our thing. Um, I can't exactly remember why, but I do remember a lot of like images of the Babadook juxtaposed with the pride flag or the Babadook twerking its little booty. So, you know, for the okay, girls. So I girl. saw that. I didn't understand it. I was like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Because I, I was so confused. I'm like, how? Somebody explain, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that and along with Pearl, uh, well, I'll talk Pearl specifically of what, what this character means to me. So kind of a slight detour from what we're talking about. But for me, Pearl, even though she isn't queer, kind of represents that desire to, to really live and be your authentic self and being stifled by uh, society, by a family that doesn't want to accept who you are and what it is that you want to do. And I think that's relatable to anybody who is creative, who comes from a family where their family doesn't understand their creativity, anybody who is who's queer, anybody who has something about themselves that they're like, I have to really live my authentic self and I'm in an environment where I can't do that. Um, I think that's partially why, in addition to the fact that the movie is filmed in Technicolor and has so many callbacks to uh, Judy Garland films and all of that, which also have been heavily embraced by the queer community. So that's a, that's a big thing. But getting back to kind of the, the history here. So other gothic books that you might know that have a very clear queer rep include Carmilla by Sheridan Lefanu. Um, this came out, I would say, before Dracula. So Carmilla being one of the first vampire novellas or novels. And it's about a lesbian vampire. And if you haven't read Carmilla, it is fabulous. Uh, I read this in high school. Probably had no business reading it in high school. But it was definitely, I think, part of my queer awakening. Um, there's also the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, obviously Dracula by Bram Stoker, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, and so many more. Um, 
you know, as a side, we can also speak to how the vampire as a character has long been associated with any marginalized group, and in this case with queer people, as author Richard Dyer in his article Children of the Night writes, um, vampires as a metaphor for queer desire can be seen due to the necessity of secrecy, the persistence of, for of forbidden passion, and the fear of discovery. Uh, so that's kind of the, the history of it along the Victorian Gothic kind of vibe. And then once we get into, let's say, you know, Hollywood and more modern times, we have the arrival of the Hayes Code in Hollywood. Now, Samara, do you know what the Hayes Code is? I do not. Please explain. Okay. So the Hayes Code was a code that existed in Hollywood from about, the, I would say, about 1930 to the late 60s. And it was a kind of this moral majority effort to make sure that movies and, and TV shows were, you know, morally righteous. So the Hayes Code affected a number of things, including nudity, including um, even uh, heterosexual relationships. It's why in I Love Lucy, they couldn't share a bed together. It's why when Lucy got pregnant, there was no like sex scenes. It limited that. It limited interracial relationships. It limited... Um, certainly queer relationships, and not just relationships, but queer rap on screen. So you didn't, you know, people couldn't write to characters as necessarily outwardly queer, which is what led to queer coding. And, you know, um, so many other things went along with the Hayes Code, but specifically when it comes to queer coding, this is why, one of the reasons why this existed. So you're familiar with what queer coding is, right? I indeed am, yes. <laughs> so for those of you who aren't, um, just to note that queer coding is the act of writing characters with characteristics, traits, stereotypes that the audience might register as queer, but the character, their sexuality isn't outwardly discussed or spoken. They're not outwardly saying that I'm gay or a lesbian or bi or what have you. They're not outwardly in a queer uh, relationship and so on. And so because of this queer coding, audiences, I would say, began to associate, I think this is partially why there's such, such a stereotype and association with like gay men, for example, as being very haughty and um, vain and all that. And one movie that kind of reinforces this queer coding is the movie Rope. It's a Hitchcock film. And it's inspired by Leopold and Loeb, which is a true crime case in which two men murdered on the lives um, one of their kind of distant relatives just to see if they can murder. And they had a love affair. And so in the movie, though they didn't show the love affair, the subtext is that these are two characters who are together. And there are these villainous gays who murdered somebody and they're so excited and enraptured with murder and if you watch the movie you can definitely see the coding there um and of course there's so many other instances of it it goes beyond horror but i would say a very notable example beyond horror is that of disney villains how we as we know a lot of disney villains seem to be queer coded including Jafar, Scar, um, Captain Hook. You know, it, it got to be where a big trope with queer people is that we were villains. We're the, you know, bored, bitchy villains who just hang out in the corner and judge everybody and execute our plans and all of that. Um, let's see here. We have a comment from... Viewer, I hate when films and shows do this and they never have a love interest. This makes them one-dimensional. Yes. I think initially, under the Hayes Code, they couldn't portray this. Um, so when they adapted, I think, Dracula, when they adapted Frankenstein, I, I don't even know if they adapted Carmilla, but if they did, you know, they couldn't portray those kind of things. And I think because of that, it extended to other more modern works of media. Think about how even recently with Interview with a Vampire, there's this huge 
pretty huge backlash, not only with him casting. Um, is it Jacob Anderson, the actor who plays Louis, casting a black actor, but with them leaning into the queerness of these characters. Anne Rice wrote these characters. There's so much homoerotic subtext. And I think that people wanted to keep the subtext and not have the characters outright be queer, but let's be real. It's 2023. You know they had to go there, first of all. And behind the scenes, even though Anne Rice didn't write, I guess, like, explicit love scenes between them, you know, like, as characters that are living in their lives on their own, away from Anne Rice's pen, they definitely engaged, right? Like, come on. They live their lives. And it's the same throughout all of the vampires in the Vampire Chronicles. Like they, it, I think it's like said that they live so long, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah, matter. And I, <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, Anne Rice writes her vampires as char- uh, uh, creatures who don't necessarily engage in sex mm-hmm. because she, I think, has written that they, they kind of have moved past that desire. They've been around so long that it's just like, okay, it's, not necessarily something that they are too keen on, but yeah, and blood is I, blood is obviously the most euphoric, like drinking the blood, right? Yeah. Um, I like it when vampire media goes into the queerness. Uh, another example is what we do in the shadows, where all of these characters are bi as fuck. It's probably one of the reasons why I enjoy the show. Is <laughs> There's a husband and wife couple who are, they've been together for so long that they have very much an open marriage and they both talk about the affairs that they've had. And there's this one character who they keep, who whenever this character's around, they're both hot for. So they both are having a side affairs with this character and they both know. And they're like, oh, I just came out of the bathroom with the Baron. How are you? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's cool. It's because it's just so normal and it's just, that is what it is. Which is how I envision vampire life being. Honestly. Just super cash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So, so we we move on from queer coding. Mm. So I think once we got out of the weeds of queer coding and having characters who were not, we we didn't know that they were queer. Mm-hmm. Now we move into the age where, okay, we, we are able to have queer characters, we're able to portray them, mm-hmm. but then we move on to some other, you know, tropes that mm-hmm. didn't necessarily provide good representation. Mm-hmm. So I think the the coding of villains as queer stuck around, mm-hmm. and with the idea that queerness was synonymous with being evil, and I'm saying this in quotes, I'm not obviously don't believe that but the the prevailing thought of that if you were if you were queer you were just sinful and you were debauched or whatever Mm -hmm. led to one trope of the depraved homosexual again who is villainous they are um overtly sexual they're trying to get with straight men this also carries into the stereotype of bisexual people as well um, there's a show called Slasher that did this. It really just made my ass itch because um, <clears throat> one of the characters who dies pretty early on and in a very horrific way is by, and he's shown as this a- complete asshole who's just only out for a good time with men and women, no regard for anything. And obviously that's such a harmful stereotype that them including that in the show just didn't feel it it didn't serve the story um so moving on from that stereotype we have the overarching one which is the bury your gaze trope now i'm sure we're all familiar with this one and this trope sees queer characters as more expendable than their heterosexual counterparts so often these are characters who die first they die painfully. Their death scenes might be drawn out. They sacrifice themselves for their straight counterparts. Or if they are somebody who, let's say, they come out shortly, you know, they, they have their coming out moment. Shortly thereafter, they die. Um, and this is prevalent in all types of media, not just movies. 
or these characters in an other sad and despicable fashion, they are victims of a hate crime or they unalive themselves because they can't handle, uh, you know, the world because they're out. Um, you know, their deaths tend to be tied to their, their homosexuality. So they're bullied, they're outed. Um, in some cases, especially with in the time of the AIDS epidemic, they, they got AIDS and they died. And so it's just kind of seen as either they're depraved and evil or they're too good for this earth. And so they are killed off. Um, kind of a, a note about movies that show this hate crime. Do you remember the It remake, the second part of the It remake? Vaguely, yeah. So both in the in the book and in the second part of the remake, it shows the death of Adrian Mellon. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the filmmakers decided to to feature this so much um, because this character they are hate crimes. They they are brutally murdered, and their death is what triggers Pennywise coming back in the town. So while the character serves a purpose in that, hey, this is a, the one <clears throat> who dies, and then Mike Hanlon notices Pennywise and is like, oh, shit, he's back. It didn't need to be a queer character. And the fact that Stephen King wrote this in the 80s, I think that was part of why he did it, to be like, hey, this is happening. But it's also a straight writer putting a lot of premium in this character who dies at the beginning part of this section and it just didn't need to happen and it didn't need to happen in this movie either in my opinion right i know um one instance i remember growing up i can't remember when this came out so i'm assuming you remember the leprechaun movies so leprechaun in the hood (laughs) come to do no good okay (laughs) in one um scene he so a black drag queen tries to seduce the leprechaun. Um, I'm like, okay, no, that wouldn't happen. Like, have you seen the leprechaun number one? So he tried, so they try to seduce leprechaun, and so they think that the drag queen and leprechaun are getting it on, but actually, they're like the, the drag queen is being murdered. And I'm like, so what was the point? It was just super random. It was just the most random thing I'd ever seen. I just remember being like, I'm confused. I'm really, I don't know if like, I'm just, cause first of all, I didn't have a lot of experience with drag queens. I think this came out in like the nine, either late nineties or super early 2000s. So not many people had experiences with drag queens period. Like here I am in middle America. Okay. And I wasn't even, I was like 11, maybe 10. So of course I didn't. And I was like, why is, what's going on? First of all, why is this man dressed as a woman? Super confused. Cause nobody taught me anything. And what's going on here? Mom's like, just close your eyes. <laughs> You're too young for this. But then the murder, she's like, oh, okay, it's fine. Insanity girl. Yeah. Insanity. Mm-hmm. Such a weird one. Scary. We also talk about how controversial yeah. scary movie was as well. We we just mm-hmm. spoke about that with the um the girls um gym coach or gym teacher, Miss Man. Right. Well also um Sean Wayne's character is obviously queer coded. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much so. And the 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 numerous jokes. I don't I don't even know if it's coded. I think it's just He's un- he they they call he's basically an undercover brother is what they're trying to joke at. So I don't know if it's coding yeah. more like you are in the closet or um what was it what was what was the word down low down on the low. down low yeah mm-hmm. Ooh, I haven't said that in a <laughs> who who says yeah. that no one says it anymore I don't think but he's supposed to play like a guy on the down low and it's made it's like a huge butt he's a huge like it's yeah. sorry he is the butt of everyone's joke on this one right. Like as, as you was the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's because, you know, in in this time, gay queerness is still seen as like a terrible thing for men to be, especially black women. Even now, mm-hmm. that's a whole separate conversation. However, 
I think that that's why when we spoke about the blackening in our last episode, why we both like that movie because we enjoyed some of the humor mm-hmm. in scary movie, but not the 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 punching down humor where mm-hmm. it was punching down towards you know queer people mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and so I think let's see um, in terms of other questionable rep. We have movies like Cruising, which is a movie in which Al Pacino plays a cop and he's going undercover to try to catch somebody who is murdering gay men in the cruising scene. Uh. Um, And that a lot of people had issues with that. There is uh, Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs Mm -hmm. and Angela in Sleepaway Camp which you and I just spoke about off camera. Um, I feel yeah. like there's people who are of two minds of this, and I w- I'm curious to know what your opinion is. But okay. if you haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, major spoilers right now, but essentially we find out that the killer is Angela, who's been this meek, kind of shy person throughout all of the movie. But the reveal is that um, Angela is, I would say, trans. Mm-hmm. Um Forced to be. Forced to be trans. Uh Because they are taken in by their aunt. And the aunt lost their daughter. And so they wanted Angela to replace that. Mm -hmm. And forced them to live their life as a girl. Uh And so I think... I, I feel like there's a mixed feelings about this character. Where some people might feel that... Well, this is somebody who was forced to live... I'm as somebody who they are not. Mm-hmm. So the representation is there for people who are, you know, in that position. But then the the treatment of it, how the reveal is done, where it's supposed to, it's shown in this horrific light where the scene that we find this out is two characters who I think have been camp counselors are running, they stumble upon the killer. And it is Angela standing there with this manic, kind of expression holding a knife naked and then we hand down to see their body mm-hmm. um, and I do think that was set up to be the horror not the killer but their body but their body yeah was finding the- out that Angela was not a girl right yeah um it was. Well, I we'll, say, we'll say not not a girl in that because born, again, born female, like born right. physically female, was born yeah. physically male. So, yeah, but have been forced to be like at least parents wise a girl. Yeah. So, so I can see how people feel mm-hmm. way. What are your thoughts on that? Um. Yeah, definitely the horror was supposed to be the body. Because um, at first, you think the horror is that it's been this little girl this whole time. They're like, Angela, are you okay? Like, what are you doing out here? And Angela's like cradling a head, severed head. And then, you know, Angela stands up and then they're like, Ooh! I'm like, why do you gasp when you saw the head? Like, <laughs> wait a minute. I wouldn't have seen anything else, <laughs> honestly. And I remember watching like, you know how they have the make, like the behind the scenes stuff, right? They always have these compilations, like scariest horror films, blah, blah, blah. So I watched that and they were talking about how the guy who was the stand-in for Angela's body in that moment was super nervous. They had to get him super drunk and then they put a wig on him so that he could do the scene. Which is why, if you're if you've ever watched it or go back and watch the movie, don't know why you would, but okay, um, it looks so bad. Not only is it you know tasteless, but it just looks bad too. So yeah, I agree. I'm like, oh, it's not that she's a killer and that there's a head in her lap, but you find out that Angela is not what you thought she was. Right. Yeah, and I, and I feel like it's the same in the movie The Crying Game, um, where 
the gag of this character being trans is the that was the marketing those all over the posters and stuff for that movie it's not horror but just another example in hollywood of of that bullshit so um that's kind of the the i'd say a lot of the poor rap the tropes and whatnot that we're trying to definitely overcome um in addition to the the barrier gaze, I would also mention as a bisexual the messy bi character or just bi erasure in general has been really crappy. Um, I feel like having your characters when you have them when they are bi and all they want to do is just fuck everybody and there's no other depth to them it definitely does a disservice and it projects that nasty stereotype. Uh, so. Some, something I will add too, though, is mm -hmm. also piggybacking off of the barrier gaze trope. Um, you see that, you realize that they put being queer in the same, like in the same morally wrong category as um, drinking, doing drugs and fornicating all of the people who do that. So if you drink, you do drugs, you fornicate, um, or if you're queer, you're gonna die. Th them's the rules. So it's very interesting to see that. Yeah, um, I would agree. And it it's still mind blowing that that had been the stereotype given how many queer people love horror. Like we love horror. We love Halloween, we love horror. And so it's interesting that is, you know, like I remember um, another, to me, another more modern example of kind of queer coding are the characters Stu Mocker and Billy Loomis in Scream. Because to me, even as a kid, I was like, these two are fucking. <laughs> like, obviously that's fine, but it just, there was no, it wasn't explicit and it was kind of, um, it felt especially like Stu was like coded as queer. And I hate that for us because not that they, not that we shouldn't be villains, not that we shouldn't be shown as like murderers. Obviously that's a rep too, but the fact that it was, there was no definitive nature to it, the coding of it. Yeah. Also, that's the only roles that they were doling out to queer people. Either you're the villain or you get like, or you're the victim real quick, right. like early on. Um, some like even, even um, Halloween kill, not kills. Is it Halloween kills? I think it is. Is it Halloween kills? The second it's one. So there's Halloween and second then or third one. the second or third one with Big John, Little John. And mm -hmm. they, you know, they gave him a little backstory, but they still killed him. Mm -hmm. there, there's actually also a documentary, I think it's on Shudder, about mm -hmm. that movie. I think it's called Killer Queen. And it's about that actor and his his journey with the movie, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that might also be up anybody's alley if they're looking, if, they're looking, if they like that Halloween movie. Um I would say it's also interesting how one thing that's interesting to me that I love and part of why I love the child's play, I was about to say the Chucky franchise. Oh, Look, okay, we black. You can say that because everybody black will understand. <laughs> um, we the, the Chucky movies or rather child's play franchise um, is just how, how open, how um, I would say, uh, inclusive that franchise seems to be just because obviously look when movies are made in the early aughts you can look back at them and say this wasn't exactly the best rep but with glenn and glenda how that was carried over into the tv show and how the main character in the tv show is queer and and doesn't die and his love interest does not die spoiler i was worried very worried that they were going to kill him off, but they did not so far. I haven't seen the second season. Um, so we're definitely 
moving on up in the world. And then Scream happened. <laughs> Scream 5. Yeah. Was it 5? No, Scream 6. Mm-mm. No, but Scream 6, Mindy's girlfriend. I'm like, did yes. she die because she was queer or did she die because she was a throwaway character? I think both. Spoiler, sorry, y'all. And she's and she's Asian, so and she's Asian, so they like wrap that up real quick. Minority, queer, throwaway character. Yes. Well, I'm I I'm hoping that in the future when they make future movies that Mindy is not the one who dies. Given the fact that she's supposed to be analogous to uh, Randy, I was surprised that she didn't die in this movie. However, if anybody dies, sorry for it. Um, it should be her brother, <laughs> not, not her. Don't do me like that. The jock with the heart of gold. The golden retriever. I don't want any of them to die, but I'm saying I don't want her to die because she's a queer character. And I just feel like if you're going to have any of them die, why would you want being mindful that see, this is why also I'm, I'm okay with Jenna Ortega's character dying. I'm okay with that. Like, I feel like that would really do some shit to people. Yeah. I mean, as a sidebar, so, and this is also part of this conversation, mm-hmm. is why representation matters, right? Um, because a lot of times when you have characters in movies, shows, books, whatever, where, um, we'll just say movies and shows, where let's say they were written on paper to be straight or to mm-hmm. be white, whatever, and then that is swapped. So the characters then made queer or black or, you know, other person of color um if you don't fully then think through what their journey would be under this lens the rap is not good there might be some issues it will feel inauthentic and disingenuous and then potentially problematic as an example to use wednesday as the example as much as i like that show the fact that they had most of the the only black characters in the show start out to be villains that's a problem that is a big problem, especially the fact that the Queen Bee villain is a dark-skinned Black woman. That's also, like, compounding that problem. And so if you don't have representation in the writer's room, behind the screen, you won't be able to properly write these characters in an authentic way. Agreed. Totally agree. Whew. We went through, like, the repertoire of everything wrong. Thank you, Professor Amanda. <laughs> claps. There's little uh, tiny claps for you because I don't want it to be too loud for the people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, should we get into some of the recs for good queer entertainment or rather good queer horror entertainment? Sure. Um, I will let you take over because um, I'm going to yeah. need some water. Yes, please please take a moment. I felt bad. I was like, he's talking all this stuff. And I feel bad because, but I feel like it's better coming from you, honestly. Um, So some of the things that Amanda and I put down were that we read Sorrowland by River Solomon. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Sorrowland by River Solomon, A++, great um, queer representation. Um, I found nothing wrong with the damn book, period. Some people might have complained, but I thought it was absolutely perfect, which is rare for me. Um, yeah, I but, thought it was a good book. Yeah. The rep is good, and the author yeah. is queer, too. So it's yeah. not just queer. It's Exactly. Which is why it's good. I just feel like it, it couldn't fail. Also, um, if you want to know more about Sorrowland, we definitely do a review of it in our previous episodes. I believe we did it for this season, season three. So just, you know, dig back. We're on Spotify. We're on um, Apple Podcasts, where everywhere you listen to podcasts, period. Um, another one we read and did not like nearly as much was House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. Her book, um, Year of the Witching, was so good. I don't know what happened. It could have been the pandemic. I don't know what sis was on, but it did not work for us at the House of Hunger. The relationship between our main character, Marion, and the Countess, just, it was not, it didn't get solidified. It didn't feel real. Mm -hmm. It was not, like, there was, like, no obsessiveness to it. Like, no no hunger, no need. And I just felt like they just were, like, kind of thrown together, and I didn't feel the passion. 
Yeah, I wasn't giving. Um, I will say, I think I think we did do a whole review episode on we it. We did a review on that one too. Same season, but super early in the season, season three. So if y'all want to take a listen, listen to the full review. But uh, the reason why it's on here is because just because we didn't like it doesn't mean that y'all won't. Because I know mm-hmm. that there's a bunch of people who really like this book. And that's cool. I still really enjoy the author. And I cannot wait for them to re- tell us what their next project is. It better be I The be, Witcher 2. <laughs> I, will, I will be sad. I will read. It's nothing to do with their writing style. They have mm-hmm. such a lush, right. glamorous writing style. Mm-hmm. Which is why I will continue to support them. So. Yeah. And honestly, though, if Alexis Henderson came out with more about the other houses, I would still read that shit. Like, even though I didn't like House of Hunger, money. I would still read that shit. It don't matter because the writing is good. It's just, I didn't like the relationship. That's all. Um, Burn Down, Rise Up by Vincent Tirado. We just finished this one and the book club, we haven't had a chance to like fully discuss it, but we will definitely be reviewing this one um, in a few episodes from now. And I thought this book was excellent. Like if you like Nightmare on Elm Street, Stranger Things, um, what else? I, I like, they, it pulled from so many, like, I don't know. It was just so interesting. Um, vampires versus the Bronx. Yeah, Vampires versus, the Bronx. versus the Bronx, uh, Bronx. Bronx, Bronx. Um, I don't know. It's like everything I love about, shoot, a little bit of it, shit. Because like kids banding yeah. together to take down a big bad while the adults are completely either oblivious or like helpless is my lady jam. I don't care. I'm yeah. going to it. it. So yeah, it feels very much like that. Um, yeah. It uh, attacked a lot of vampires. Yeah. That's, I think that that's a big strength of this book. So we will be doing a review on it. If you haven't read it. Um. So Read Love Listen says, I love the book. I will read any of their other books. For it to be a YA, it was amazing. Right? Um, I normally don't like YA. Um, I'm trying to put it away. I'm sorry. I think we're like fighting. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, for it to be YA, I really enjoyed it. I always have like a little bit of a hard time with YA horror just because I want it to be a little bit more like punch in the gut. But it's YA. They can't go that far. Um, but they did like Vincent Chef's Kiss. It was a great book. I gobbled that shit up. <laughs> um, another one is so we were just talking about this offline, but um, books by Eric LaRocca. I read the shorts, I guess it was a novella um, called Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke. I can't, I don't even know why I did it. I was like, oh, horror, sure disgusting but the main characters are queer they have a relationship um like an online relationship that just spirals and escalates um and each each little page my eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger and if you are okay with being absolutely disgusted but entertained go read it go read things have gotten worse since we last spoke by eric laworka I haven't read anything by this author since because I was so disgusted and I just don't want to know anymore. <laughs> and I see that you put um your, what Book of Course Saints anthology featuring Eric LaRocca. Did you read the story by Eric in there? No, so I haven't read this one yet, but mm-hmm. it's I do own it. Uh yeah, I I mean great title, great mm-hmm. cover. And it's just a short story anthology that I thought would be really great. I think all, or not most of the people who contributed to the anthology are mm-hmm. Oh, nice. That's good. Um, then there's The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. This is super popular. The author is queer. Um, and it's just about a boy who is a medium and his body gets kind of taken over by a, like a, a deceased school shooter. I own it. It's on my shelf looking at me lopsided. Um, I just haven't had, I just haven't picked it up yet, but I know it's going to be good. I've heard really good things about it. So I'm really excited to jump into it. And some of these, what is it? Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. I know nothing about this one. Never heard of it. Oh yeah. So Manhunt, uh, this is 
supposed to be a pretty good book. It definitely came under controversy because there's a scene in which a character who's analogous to she who will not be named um, is uh, unalive, like they die. And it's very clear who the inspiration for this character was. But basically, this is kind of a dystopian world in which um, men are hunted. They, they become, they have this gene that's supposed to make them extra, extra violent. And so they're hunted. And therefore, trans women uh, are also too, because there's not, there's this belief that they harbor the same gene. Um, it's supposed to be a really great book. I have not read it yet, but that's why this is on here. As well as I want to note, one that I forgot to add is um, Hell Followed With Us by, I think it's Adam Joseph White. They're another queer author who writes for, they have a book coming out later this year that's set in Victorian times that has a, a like a medium, like a trans medium or something. I, I'm sad. Take my money. I think it's going to be great. Um, so those are two other recs. And then one I just, I just snuck this on here. That I don't know if you saw. It's um, Your Lonely Nights Are Over by, I think the author is Adam Sass. Okay. Okay. Uh, I see it because I follow Terry J. Benton Walker, who wrote Blood Jets mm-hmm. on Twitter, and that's his like bestie. So he's been promoting. But it's I think there's zombies. I think mm-hmm. it's queer. I think there's zombies. Uh, or it's a slasher. No, it's a queer slasher. Oh, um, I'm here for it. I'm definitely here for it. Um, yeah. So it's a slasher novel. It's about two gay teen BFFs, and they're find their friendship tested when a serial killer starts targeting their school's queer club. It's out um, this September. Ooh, that sounds good. I wanted to say that Tell Me I'm Worthless might have been, but I haven't read it yet. So I could be completely wrong. I think I might be wrong. (laughs) But if it is, please let me know because I haven't read it yet, Amanda. I think I bought it for you for your birthday. No, maybe you did. did. I did. Okay, yeah. You, you did. I have not read it yet because I'm. What the fuck am I reading? I'm re- I'm. I don't know what I'm reading. Right now. I don't know. I'm. <laughs> I'm reading stuff though. I am reading stuff. Some of it's queer, but not all of it's horror. Uh- well, speaking <laughs> of stuff, I have this book yeah. on hold at my local library, and I keep mm-hmm. side eyeing every time I go to the library. Like, when is this book? When's it gonna be my time? Mm-hmm. Is <laughs> not supposed to die tonight. I no. this day that it came out, I put it on hold. He came out by Caitlin Barron. You're waiting patiently. As soon as it comes off hold, whatever you're reading, you must stop and read that because you're only going to have it for like a finite amount of time. Oh, I will be speed reading that book, but I've been looking forward to it since she announced the project. So I I don't think I'm reading any queer horror right now, at least not at first glance. Hmm. Honestly, I am still reading Don't Fear the Reaper, and I just want the, the two main girls to have a relationship, because I'm tired of these men in this book. Tired of this grandpa. <laughs> it's too damn bad. It's too damn bad. Uh, I think just some, some light mentions of other ones we have on this list is mm-hmm. um, Carmilla, as I mentioned, by Sheridan Lofano. She is a haunting by Train Tom Tran. We have read this. Mm-hmm. We loved it. Um, Night of the Living Queers, which is another anthology. It's out in August. It features stories by Kayla Barron and Pasoko Jackson. Um, and yeah, I feel like those are kind of it. I do want to also mention an author who I know. Who, I don't remember if her, her books are queer, but she is. Her name is Brianna Morgan, and she writes queer. She writes horror. I don't know if it's queer, but if you haven't checked her out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, my book. Oh, I can plug my Oh, book. yeah, you totally can. I feel like you can plug, like, all, well, they're not all horror. But the ones that are, you can totally plug them. Well, I'm just going to plug my upcoming book because I'm almost finished with it. And so um, look out for this book later this year. It is called No One's Gonna Take Her Soul Away. It is uh, written, like I said, by yours truly. It's a... Dante's Inferno, the Wiz mashup inspired book about a woman escaping from hell with the help of a werewolf vampire and a demon. And uh, I'm very excited about it, mostly also because I'm almost done with it. And I can finally empty my brain. 
However, uh, this is, it's great. I'm trying to pin down exactly what genre it is of horror. It's gonna, it's gory, right? Because it, it's hell. It's hell. So it's pretty gory. Mm-hmm. But I can't wait. The little bits I've shared with Samara, she's really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I'm putting you on the spot. I'm like, you liked it, right? I do. I do. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm like, I just need, I need Amanda to stop playing with my heart and come on and finish so I can read it immediately. Girl, I'm just going to send you the Google Doc and you can read it while I'm writing. Uh, please I don't do, have to be finished I, for you to be done. You do you know, I, my like my body, like whatever was on my TBR is now ruined. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to finish reading Fiona and Jane. It's done. <laughs> and I sent you a snippet today and you said, stop playing with me. <laughs> stop playing games. With, I feel like. A fucking not you, Backstreet Boy. Is it Boy? In sync. Like I feel oh, like a boy band. <laughs> My heart. <laughs> That's how I feel. Oh. I'm super excited to read it. I love stories like that, and I'm not a person who enjoys like retellings. But yours doesn't feel like a retelling. It just took some of like the best elements of yeah. the two stories and like created a monster baby so <laughs> i'm excited monster baby is very much the tea with this so yeah mm-hmm. um and then if you like something that's fantasy but has a little bit of horror my book in the house of transcendence i obviously mm-hmm. would highly recommend that one mm-hmm. um because there's ghosts and necromancy and sexy burlesque dancing mm-hmm. and a mystery so i feel like we're at a good stopping place. We've, we've gone through the history. Once mm-hmm. again, if you are watching this now or in the future, please thank you. Give this video a like. If you're listening to it, also thank you. And if you have any recommendations for us for any type of horror, but specifically queer horror, please leave it on this video. Send us a message on our Instagram or TikTok uh, or Twitter, which Samara will tell you how to find us there. Most definitely. Um, so yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter under under Horror Host Support Group, host spelled H-E-A-U-X. And if you want to join our book club, just click the link in the description on our Insta and you're there. Um, you can find Amanda and learn all about her work on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube under the name Amanda the Author Ross, the spelled with two E's, and on Twitter at Amanda the Author with one E. You can also find me, Samara, on all the same platforms under the name Samara Reads 2. Don't follow my Twitter. I'm never on it. And don't forget to check out my indie book box at fifthhousecollective.com. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.